So Peter and John had arrived at the temple as we talked about last week. They got there and met a lame man outside the beautiful gate. The beautiful gate was right outside the temple. It was the closest one really to the temple. And they were talking to him and then he was healed. He stood up and went in with them through that beautiful gate. Um, the, for the, probably the first time ever going through the gate because now he could walk in and be part of the congregation there that were gathering. This happened at about 3 p.m. And the man is healed. They go in and Peter starts talking to the crowd because the crowd was looking at Peter and John like, wow, you guys are amazing. Look at what you've done. You know, and, and you know, that happens a lot today. When you see auditoriums filled with tens of thousands of people getting together to hear pastors teach and, and, or at conferences or at crusades or whatever the case may be, it's not about them. It's not about us. No matter what size the congregation is, it's always about Jesus. And Peter and John kept that um, tradition of telling everyone about Jesus. It wasn't about them. And they wanted to make sure that they were pointing everyone back to Jesus. So they did it with the crowd that had formed when on the day of Pentecost when they came down and they were in the streets and 3,000 were saved and now they're here at the temple and this man is healed and they're giving the credit back to Jesus. But today's message is titled Council the Council and it's going to be about Peter and John speaking, going in front of the council there uh, at the temple. So who was being ignored at this point? Who was left out of this picture? The religious rulers. They didn't have the limelight. Peter and John had the limelight, but they didn't even want it for themselves. So they were a little upset. They were a little hot under the robe. And we continue now with our study through the book of Acts. In Acts chapter 4 and verse 1, where it says, Now as they spoke to the people, the priests, the captain of the temple, and the Sadducees came upon them, being greatly disturbed that they taught the people and preached in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. So, here the religious rulers are gathered around now. They hear what's going on and they want to put an end to it because Peter and John are talking about the resurrection from the dead. And it wasn't about what they were doing. It's what, what Jesus had done. He was resurrected from the dead. And because he was, he was still healing people. He wasn't even there. But he was healing people, and they didn't like the idea. The Sanhedrin is a group of 70 religious rulers. There were two different groups 
actually. There were the Sadducees and there were the Pharisees. And the Sadducees were the majority of the group. Uh, it wasn't a 50-50 split. It was more like uh, a 60-40 or a 65-35. Uh, and uh, the Pharisees had a smaller uh, percentage in the group. The Sadducees, they were aristocrats holding powerful positions. And they maintained those powerful positions by giving those positions on to their children. And as they passed them down, they passed them down to their family members. Uh, they were more concerned with politics than they were with religion. And there are a lot of churches today that are very similar to that. More interested in influencing politics than what God is doing spiritually in our world today. Easy to get caught up in that. Easy to get distracted from what God is doing and get caught up in what's going on in our government. I have met no one that can actually change what the government is doing, no matter who it is. Oh, there may be someone that's different that comes in and does something different for a period of time, but then it goes right back to the old ways of doing things. And we continue doing the same thing over and over, expecting a different outcome. We know what that is. That's insanity. Um, but we can't call the government insane because then they'll pull my 501c3. And then, so, um, not even worried about it, to be honest with you. Uh, you know, we're going to just call it what it is. So the Sadducees were only considered, um, they, they only considered the written word of God to be valid. They didn't consider any oral word to be valid. So when the prophets told them what you're doing is wrong, what you're doing is sin, what you're doing is evil, oh no, that, that's not written. You know, we listen to the written word. Well, here's how well they, they listened to it. They didn't follow it. Oh, they listened to it. They heard it. We as Christians can do that too. We can hear the word of God and not apply it to our own lives. Oh, that's for someone else. That, that's for someone that really needs to hear that. Me, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty good. I do good most of the time. You know? And if we're honest with ourselves... We're not. We are, you know. Now, I know that some of you think, well, hold on, I'm better than my neighbor. You know, I, you know, I am, except I have good neighbors, um, just because some of them are here. And I, I you know, I, uh, and, and they are wonderful neighbors. And, well, I'm better than some of the other neighbors, you know, who I'm talking about, right? And, and so the thing is, is that, we're not better because all of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. All our righteousness is as filthy rags. And we don't want to hear that. We want to hear how good we are. You know, the, the works that we're doing. Oh, man, we are so good. You know, but the reality is 
we can be like the Sadducees. Uh, we can be caught up in our own religion, our religiosity, and miss out on uh, the simplicity of having a relationship with our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And that's what even Peter and John are new to this. Oh, you have to remember, Peter was the same one telling the Lord what he should and shouldn't be doing just a couple of months earlier. And now, all of a sudden, he's on fire in the street telling people that they need to get right with the Lord. And that's not something that he was used to doing. What was the difference? The Holy Spirit. The same Holy Spirit that we have today. Not a different Holy Spirit. We don't have Holy Spirit version 6. We have the same Holy Spirit. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever, just as Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And so is God. And so we have the Godhead, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit that are continuing to do and carry out their plan on this earth, but we all get messed up with it. Uh, so the Pharisees, they gave oral uh, tradition uh, a a value. It was from God. If a prophet comes and speaks prophecy, it's from God. And they believe that. Sadducees, not so much. Why? Because the prophets spoke against the Sadducees. That's why they were sad, you see. And, and so the Sadducees, they didn't need God in their daily lives. They didn't want to hear from God. They just figured they had everything under control. God put them here. They were in charge. They knew what to do. Let's just run with this. They denied the resurrection of the dead. They denied angelic beings and spiritual beings. And they denied the existence of demons. You know, so everything was good to go. You go into the ground, you're dead. You're gone. It's, it's all over. So they just, they didn't believe that God had any interaction with humans. He just sits up there and watches. And, you know, there's nothing further from the truth. But how do we know that? How do we as Christians know that God is interacting with us? Well, it's through the Holy Spirit, first of all, that God interacts. And since we all, if we become believers in Jesus Christ and receive him into our lives, we all have the Holy Spirit living within us. And so we are aware of when God is approving of what we're doing or he's not very happy with what we're doing. I, I know, I know when I'm a little agitated and um, I, my um, frustration may come up to a level where I'm not as friendly with people as I should be. And I'm convicted of it. Other people may think, oh, well, he was right in doing that because that person wasn't being very nice and friendly and he was just responding in kind. But that's not how we're supposed to act as Christians. 
and the Holy Spirit convicts me when I do that. I, I, I sometimes will get into pleasant conversations with people on Facebook uh, about theological issues. And, uh, and, and they will be very critical of some of the things that we believe as Christians. And uh, in doing that, um, I am led to want to argue with them or maybe made some snide comment about them and what they believe. And, um, and I really, it takes a lot, but the Holy Spirit convinced me and says, no, don't say that, but give them the truth. Share the truth. And if they don't want to hear that, that's fine, but at least you're, you're sharing the truth. You know, let the word of God convict them, not your word. I am not the, the oral prophecy of God where I'm going to, you know, tell someone you're an idiot. And, well, that came from God because I said it. And um, obviously I'm a prophet. And I'm not, I'm not called to do that. And it's better to love them to the Lord than to argue them to the Lord. So the Sadducees, they were all about religion. They were all about rules and regulations. The Pharisees, on the other hand, they had their own traditions. They liked religious ceremonies. Uh, they um, related more to the people than the Sadducees. They were blue-collar guys, and they could relate to what they were experiencing at, at the ground level what they were experiencing from Rome and from the interference of what was going on there uh, with Rome. See, Sadducees, they were making deals behind the scenes. You know, they were happy, and uh, as long as they got to keep their authority and their, their rule, they were okay. But the Pharisees were like, no, we're supposed to be worshiping God, and this is how we're supposed to be doing things. Uh, remember, Paul was a, a Pharisee, but he was against Christians because he thought they were mocking God. He didn't understand that Jesus is God, that he is the Messiah. And so once he learned on the road to Damascus, he learned. He, he, his eyes were open, and immediately, everything that he had learned from the Old Testament prophets and the scriptures, everything that he had learned all of a sudden made sense. God gave him clarity to understand what those scriptures meant. And so now he was able to go out and lead people into a relationship with Christ. The Pharisees saw their need for God in their daily lives. Uh, but they also believed that man had free will to mess things up. That's still true today. We can mess things up royally. And we have free will to do that. They believed in a resurrection of the dead. They believed in the afterlife. They believed in judgment, that there was going to be a judgment for earthly actions. And they believed in the existence of angels and demons. And they didn't understand fully what the scriptures were. Obviously, when Jesus came on the scene, they would have said, oh, 
you know what, hold on. This is who the Old Testament spoke of. And they would have received him, but many Pharisees did. Many Pharisees became believers, but some of them liked religion more than they liked being in a relationship with Jesus, and they didn't follow him, even though they believed that he was the Messiah. So the Pharisees had less control than the Sanhedrin, but even so, um, they had influence because the people liked them. And so they had an influence in uh, the, um, the um, I'm sorry, I lost myself. The, um, yeah, that. Sure. You know, this is what happens when you have too many words that we don't use anymore. And um, the, the Sadducees and the Pharisees were part of the Sanhedrin. That's the word I was looking for. So they had a smaller majority, but they had the people that were the ones that were following them. So, verse 3. And they laid hands on them and put them in custody until the next day, for it was already evening. However, many of those who heard the word believed, and the number of the men came to about 5,000. So the rulers grabbed Peter and John, arrested them because it was evening. Hold on, it was evening. So that means at 3 o'clock, the time of prayer, when this man was healed... Um, they were there preaching until evening. What were they talking about? What were they preaching? Well, if it was important for us to know the details, it would be here. But they were preaching what they've been preaching. It isn't something new. It's something they've been talking about. Everything in the Old Testament, they were preaching about the Messiah. They were preaching about who he is and how Jesus fit the role of the Messiah. But it wasn't too long ago that 3,000 got saved on the day of Pentecost. So on that day when they got saved, what did they do? Some of them went home. Because it was Pentecost, it was a time of celebration, so they were in town for the party. Uh, but then they went home, some of them. Some of them stayed. And as they stayed with the apostles, and they were learning, and they were growing in their faith, as they were growing, they were sharing with other people. And now today we read that 5,000 got saved. I believe that some of those 3,000 went out and spoke to the crowds and they were already hearing about Jesus. All they were hearing about was the speaking in tongues, the day that the disciples went from the upper room out into the streets speaking in tongues, other languages, so that the people can hear the wondrous works of God. Okay, so they heard that but now there's this man that gets healed and he was lame from birth and he's healed now. So it's something different. This is more 
than just a bunch of guys that took an online course in speaking in other languages. They didn't have that back then, by the way. These, this was the work of the Holy Spirit in speaking in tongues and, and, and preaching in these other languages. But this was a healing. This was something nobody else can do. The religious rulers, the chief priests, the, all of the religious people, they were going in and out that beautiful gate. They were going by there every day, and that man was laid there every day. They didn't heal him. So nobody else had the power to heal him except Jesus. You see, and Peter and John said, that's who did it. Wasn't us. And now they go and get put in prison. But 5,000 heard and they believed. And that must have made the chief priest, the high priest, all of them nervous that now the people had, you know, were following John and Peter. The disciples shouldn't be surprised that they were being persecuted like this. This was something that Jesus told them would happen in Matthew chapter 10 and verse 16. He wrote, uh, or uh, Matthew wrote, Behold, I send you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. Therefore, be wise as serpents and harmless as doves. But beware of men, for they will deliver you up to councils and scourge you in their synagogues. And you will be brought before governors and kings for my sake as a testimony to them and to the Gentiles. To the Gentiles. Jesus had already said that the word was going to go to the Gentiles. The Jews weren't really paying attention to that much. They were like, he must have been talking about someone else. But he was already preparing them for what was coming next. So this is the beginning of that persecution. And now Peter and John are held overnight. Verse 5, it says, And it came to pass on the next day that their rulers, elders, and scribes, as well as Annas, the high priest, Caiaphas, John, and Alexander, and as many were of the family of the high priest, were gathered together at Jerusalem. Gang's all here. They're all here gathered at, who were these people? They were the same ones that called for Jesus to be crucified. They were the same ones that plotted the crucifixion of Jesus. Same ones because that was only a few months earlier. So they hadn't changed roles yet. And here they were. They wanted to now put Peter and John, on trial for what they were doing. And when they had set them in the midst, they asked, by what power or by what name have you done this? So here they are confronting Peter and John, saying, who gave you the authority to do this? There's only one right answer. There's only one. God. That is, the, they were trying to trap them by asking this question. You see, in Deuteronomy chapter 13, 
we read, starting in verse 1, if there arises among you a prophet or a dreamer of dreams, and he gives you a sign or a wonder, and the sign or wonder comes to pass of which he spoke to you, saying, let us go to other gods. Well, they didn't say that, but they're talking about Jesus. And see, in, in the Jews' mind, Jesus is not God. He was just a guy they crucified a few months earlier. And so if they're talking about other gods, which you have not known, and let us serve them, you shall not listen to the words of that prophet or dreamer of dreams. For the Lord your God is testing you to know whether you love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. You shall walk after the Lord your God and fear him and keep his commandments and obey his voice. You shall serve him and hold fast to him. But that prophet or that dreamer of dreams shall be put to death. So this is what they were seeing as the offense. The offense was they were claiming Jesus was risen from the dead by God and that he has the authority of God. And they didn't want to hear that. That was against what they believed from the law, from Deuteronomy. And then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers of the people and elders of Israel, if we this day are judged for a good deed done to a helpless man, by what means he has been made well, let it be known to you and all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man stands whole, here whole before you. Wow. Uh, Peter, all of a sudden, uh, becomes a preacher, which he wasn't, he was a fisherman. He was I was a computer programmer. I still am. I just don't do it that well. Technology kept moving. I didn't. And so, uh, so you know, I, but I found a better thing to do. Preach. Uh, you know, while I've been preaching for many years, I have been teaching for many years, but God said, no, I want you to do that more than worrying about being a, a computer programmer. Well, uh, I mean, Peter, he was a fisherman. Uh, he didn't study the scriptures. Oh, sure, he went to synagogue because he was a good Jew. And he listened to what he was told. But who was teaching him? Those guys. The guys that got it wrong. The guys that weren't living in a relationship with God. They were doing things their way. There are many churches today that are still doing the same thing. Now, I'm not saying that Calvary Chapel is the only right church out there. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is that any church that teaches the word of God and teaches it as the literal word of God, 
that's what we're supposed to be doing as a church. We're supposed to be teaching the truth of the Word of God literally. The way it is, except when it's not literal, except when it's poetry. You know, when you teach the Song of Solomon, I don't want to see a woman that looks like the one that was described in the Song of Solomon. I don't, oof. But, you know, it, it's poetry. It's meant to be poetry. But when you're looking at all of Scripture and you're taking it as a whole, you get the big picture of what God has delivered. Prophecy is meant to be prophecy. Prophecy is still true today. The prophecies that took place in the past that were confirmed, that were completed, they were accurate. The ones that haven't been completed, still going to happen. Still going to be fulfilled. We're going to see those prophecies happen in the future. So when will they happen? Don't know. He never gave. Well, he did kind of give a timeline. When, when did he give a time? Oh, he gave a timeline. When the Messiah was going to be born. He actually gave the day the Messiah was going to enter into Jerusalem on a donkey. The Jews had that information. It was set aside as a certain time from when there was a decree to rebuild the walls around the temple. From that time, there was going to be 69 weeks of years. And when you calculate that out, it came to the exact day that Jesus rode the donkey through the Kidron Valley into the gate on the Temple Mount. So he does give specifics, but when it comes to the last days, he doesn't give real you know, detail about when they will happen. He just says, hey, these are the things you can expect to see when, you know, these things happen. Daniel wrote about in Daniel chapter 12, he wrote, uh, you know, that there are going to be many things that are going to be happening in the last days. Knowledge will increase and, and people will be traveling to and fro. And, and that's what we're seeing in our day and age now, 200 years ago, not so much. You know, someone riding a horse really fast. Oh, man, look at how fast he's going. Uh, look, it, it only took him six months to get across the United States. You know, woo! You know, that was fast. And, and now it's hours flying in a plane. This is what Daniel was really talking about. But he said, seal up this book until the time of the end. But that book isn't sealed up to us anymore. Now we fully understand everything that was written in Daniel. Why? because we live in the time of the end. Otherwise, we wouldn't understand fully what was written in the book of Daniel. So it's good to know these things. I, I mention them often because I want to keep us aware of the fact that the Bible didn't stop speaking to us 2,000 years ago. The prophecies are still going to be fulfilled, but that's not the important part. The Holy Spirit is still speaking to us individually today. And so when I get up in the morning 
and I am planning my day, sometimes I, I get reminded by the Holy Spirit, oh no, I've got something else planned for you today. Oh, hold on. Have you talked to my wife? Because, you know, she may have other plans. And, you know, but the Holy Spirit encourages me to be ready for whatever he's going to bring into my path that day. We should always be ready for that. Peter and John were learning this quickly, that no matter what they were doing, they're walking to the temple for at the hour of prayer. What were they going for? Prayer. They were going to the temple. at the, And there's a lame man. And the Holy Spirit said, that one, that guy, he's ready. Go over to him and heal him. And they did because they were obedient to what the Holy Spirit said. How often do we pass by opportunities that the Holy Spirit wants to use us to minister to someone because we have other plans, because we're busy, got other things going on. And quite often we do that. We, you know, we, we already have preconceived what we're going to do today, what we're going to accomplish. If I don't accomplish this, my wife is going to say to me, well, how come you didn't get that done? I never have that problem because my wife generally says, you know, hey, were you able to get, no. Why? Because I blame it on the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit told me not to do that. I don't do that. I, re I really don't. But I work for a company in San Diego. And when I need to get work done for my company, I always have the time to get it done. Uh, my schedule is always open to what that company needs me to do. My CEO is a Christian. He's a believer. He told me when I started the church, you do what you need to do for the church and it comes before work because I know you'll get caught up on the work. I know you'll be able to get that done. And, if it, and in 11 years, there's never been a time where the work didn't get done on time. And that's, that's the Holy Spirit. That's God accomplishing his purposes. And I've always been able to get done what I need to get done here too because that's God. So, so Peter and John, they're just doing what God wants them to do. In, in chapter 3, Peter told the crowd of Jews who killed the Messiah, he said, you guys did it. And now he's telling these guys, you guys did it. He's calling them all out. The reality is all of us did it. We're all culpable in his death because the only reason he came was to die so that we could all be saved. That was his purpose from the very beginning. In chapter 4, he calls out these religious rulers. He begins to counsel the council. Here's the council holding counsel against him, and he's counseling them. He's telling them what they need to know. They were the ones responsible. They were the ones that put Jesus on trial. They were the ones that put him to death. And they were probably a little biased in their opinions, but they were getting it across. They're questioning Peter and John, not because they want to know the truth. They didn't want to know the truth. 
They wanted a reason to execute them. They wanted to stop them from doing what they were doing. This is the same plan that they had with Jesus, right? And they worked out that plan. They crucified Jesus. You know, Peter, here's Peter. He has a problem telling a girl in, in the courtyard that he's a follower of Jesus just a couple months earlier, right? And, and he, he was all ashamed about that, went off crying when, when he got busted by Jesus. <laughs> and, and, and so that's the condition of Peter's heart. My heart's like that too sometimes. My heart gets like that. When I'm, I'm too focused on what I'm doing to be aware of what Jesus is doing. Peter's not like that anymore. Now he's out there and he's just going to give it to them straight. He's, I'll, I'll let Jesus sort this out. I'm just going to deliver the message. I'm just the messenger. He told him, you crucified him and God raised him from the dead. I, I'm sure that's not what they were looking to hear. So he told him, you know, you killed him, and look at that, it didn't even work. <laughs> you know, it, you, you, you thought you won, but you didn't. Uh, so in verse 8, we're told that Peter was filled with the Holy Spirit. So a, a lot of times people get confused as to the filling of the Holy Spirit. And does that mean he was empty? He used up all the Holy Spirit, and now he needed to be refilled? It's not like my car. It's not like a Tesla that has to be plugged in every so often to get recharged. Not like that. What, what he's talking about is a refilling. We, we always have the Holy Spirit within us, but to be filled with the power of the Holy Spirit to go out and minister, it's, a, it's like a refilling. How do we stay? How do we keep being filled and refilled? Well, Paul tells us in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, he gives us a picture of how a Christian can stay fully engaged, filled with the Holy Spirit, active and being able to be used by God. He says in 1 Thessalonians 5.16, rejoice always. Rejoice always? Hold on, there are times when I don't feel like rejoicing. You know what I'm talking about? I just heard that a good friend who had colon cancer has now been diagnosed again with cancer. And that's painful to hear. Many of you in here have had cancer in the past and been treated for cancer. Sometimes the treatment is worse than the disease. And I know that it just doesn't seem to be something that we can rejoice about. But we're told to rejoice always. And you know what that means? That we're to rejoice always. You know, the, the one thing I can rejoice about is the fact that we're not going to be here forever in these bodies. Okay? Eternity is going to 
oh, it has already started. Eternity has started. It's just the, per the first part of eternity stinks because we're in these bodies, right? And we're living on this earth. This is the stinky part of eternity. But once we leave this earth, the great part of eternity begins and it never gets bad again. There will never be a bad part of eternity. We're going to be in heaven, walking down the streets of gold. There's going to be trees with fruit on them. You're going to pick the fruit and I, oh, this is rotten. Oh, this is no good. I don't even like this kind of fruit. We're going to like it. We're going to eat it. It's going to taste good. And this is reality. We can't fathom it. We can't fathom it because it's not reality on earth. There's no place on earth, you know, a lot of people, oh, Hawaii is such a wonderful place to go. It's like heaven on earth. No, it's not. It's not like heaven on earth. Because if that's what heaven's like, I don't want to go. You know, I, I just, I don't like Hawaii. You know, I was in the Navy. I've been there too many times. It was like, okay, it's all right, you know, but it's not great, you know. And, and I, I know, right? A, a lot of you are like, you don't think Hawaii is great? No, I can't surf. <laughs> I, 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 I can't even ride one of those, you know, jet skis or anything. One time I did. I was riding a jet ski, and as I fall into the water, my swimsuit comes off of me, and... and <laughs> Oh, that's maybe not an image I should have been talking about here up while I'm teaching on Sunday. But it really happened. And, and it was like so embarrassing. I, I never went on a jet ski again. It really cured me of that uh, desire. Um, next verse. Man, we better get out of this. Um, pray without ceasing. I was praying uh, at that time. And I pray without ceasing. Pray without ceasing. We're supposed to be praying all the time. You know, and, and I do pray a lot because when I am out there in the public, there are people that need lots of prayer and I'm praying for them all the time, right? No, a lot of times I'm judging them. But where did you learn how to drive? You know? What, what does that license plate say? It's not even in this country. What are they doing in America driving if they, if they can't? Now, if you're from some other place and you're driving here with Canadian plates or something like that, I, you know, I, I forgive you. Uh, but we are judgmental. We're judgmental. We, when we shop, we're judgmental about how people are shopping in front of us. Why don't they get that cart out of the way? You know, I'm trying to go through this aisle and, and we get very judgmental. But we're supposed to be praying always. Instead of judging, we're supposed to be praying for these people. And I'm, I'm guilty. I'm guilty of that too. I'm guilty of not considering what another person's going through. There are people that are going through things much worse than what you're going through. I don't care what you're going through right now. There are people that are going through things much worse. And we can be praying for them. We should be praying for them. In everything, give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. When people say, what is the will of God? I don't know the will of God. 
Here it is. In everything give thanks for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Well, that's simple. That's simple. Give thanks. And we have a lot to give thanks for. I mean, we don't have to sit there and dwell. Let me write a list of things to give. We could just sit here and talk for an hour of things that we can give thanks for. And then if we run out of things after an hour, we're just not thinking hard enough because there is so much that we can give thanks for. Verse 18, do not quench the spirit. Uh, the Holy Spirit wants to do work and a lot of times we quench the spirit by doing what we want to do instead of what he wants to do or avoiding what he wants to do altogether and, you know, just, or placing things on the Holy Spirit. This is what really the Holy Spirit wants to do. A lot of churches are doing that. They're more focused on what they're doing for God than what God is doing through them. We have to remember that God is the one doing the work and we can get in the way. If it says do not quench the Holy Spirit, that means we can quench the Holy Spirit. That means we have the ability to quench the Holy Spirit. And so we shouldn't do that. Do not despise prophecies. Going back to the fact that there are prophecies in the Bible and there are people that don't want to hear it. I don't want to hear about the rapture of the church. That's, you know, that's, who cares? You know, that's not important. No, it's not important unto salvation. It truly is not. When the rapture is going to happen is not important for our salvation. But we should live like the rapture can happen at any moment. Because if we live like that, it will change how we live. We will be rejoicing always. If we knew the rapture was going to happen in 10 minutes, are we going to sit there like, come on, God, you know, get here. No, we're going to be rejoicing. We're going to be excited about the fact that the rapture is going to happen in 10 minutes, 10 minutes. We may want to go out and tell someone, but here's the point. The point is we should live like the Lord can come at any moment because he can come at any moment for you or me. Our last breath here on earth will be followed by our first breath in heaven. We will be there before we know it. And we should be prepared for that. But we shouldn't despise the prophecies that haven't been fulfilled yet because they're going to be fulfilled. They should excite us. They should encourage us for what's going to happen next. Test all things. Hold fast to what is good. And that means all things in the scriptures, test them, put them to the test. See if God will fulfill the things that he said that he was going to do. He will. He's going to fulfill all of them. And then finally in verse 22, it says, abstain from every form of evil. These are the things that we do to live out our Christianity to allow the Holy Spirit to work through us and abstaining from every form of evil. What is every form of evil? Do you really have to look far to see? Well, in the end times, there are going to be people that call good evil and evil good. Do we see that happening right now? 
Many people are doing that. And not only are they calling good evil and evil good, they're passing laws to make it good. And I'm not getting into the government right now. What I'm getting into is what the Bible says. The Bible says this is what's going to happen. This is spiritual. It's a spiritual battle that we're in. And so the problem with evil is that if we accept it, if we just say, oh, eh, it's just what's going to happen, then we kind of get dull to evil. We, we aren't sensitive to the evil that's going on around us, and we almost accept it. As no, it's not good to accept evil. The Bible says that there are those that sin, and the sin is a problem in their life. It's going to cause them to be separate from God. But that's not the big problem. It's also those that don't sin, but they support people that do sin, that live in sin, that condone the sin. They're okay with the sin. That's not good either because we're seeing that happen in our world today too. There aren't 50% of the people in our world that are transvestites. I just want to let you know that. Okay, you, you may be aware of that already, but somehow we as a country have now put men, uh, you know, that are competing against women in sports and somehow we think that's okay. But there aren't that many of these people that have transitioned from one sex to another, there aren't that many of them that they should have the power to decide that we're all going to have to accept that. It's sin. It's the fact that all of the people that are not transvestites, homosexuals, whatever, they're okay with it. We've allowed it to happen. Everyone in here knows someone that lives an alternative lifestyle. Everyone in here knows someone. If you don't, you just don't know that you know. There's someone out there that is part of your sphere of influence that is living in that lifestyle. It's a choice. It's not something that God created and made people this way. It's a form of evil that we have to abstain from and supporting even. Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers and people and elders of Israel, if we this day are judged for a good deed done to a helpless man, by what means he has been made well, let it be known to you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth whom you crucified who God raised from the dead by him this man stands in front of you whole and then he says in verse 11 this is who Jesus is this is the stone who was rejected by you builders which has become the chief cornerstone <clears throat> 
that's out of the Old Testament. He's quoting scripture that condemned them back then and now is condemning them again. Nor is there salvation in any other, for there is no other name under heaven given among men which we must be saved, by which we must be saved. Peter is emboldened by the Holy Spirit to speak these things now. He, he believes that salvation is through one God, the only God, because of his son Jesus Christ that went and died for us. It's still true today. Just because he died 2,000 years ago doesn't mean there's another way for us to get to heaven. No good works are going to get us to heaven. That's what the Jews believe today. Just to let you know. The temple is no longer there. And if there's no temple, there's no sacrifice. So how are they saved now? Because the sacrifices are how they were saved back then. And so if there is no sacrifice, then there's no salvation for them really but now they believe that it's good works that get them to heaven good works well that's what half the world believes half the world believes that they're getting to heaven based on their good works the other half doesn't care or doesn't believe anything but we knowing the truth knowing what the word of God says, know that there is one. This one, the one person that has given us salvation. He died for us so that we can be saved. Only one name under heaven by which we, and that name is not Muhammad. It's not Buddha. It's not Mary. There's only one name, one name only. His name is Jesus. And if we don't receive him as our own gift, he is the gift that was given to us. If we don't believe that, if we don't receive him, then we're not saved, period. I don't want to startle you, but I want to startle you. I want you to know that that's, the only choice. That's the only option. I don't care what you've been taught since you were a child. I've been taught all kinds of things. But one thing is for sure, I was wrong most of the time. It wasn't until I realized that this was true, that there was only one name under heaven that I could be saved. And then I asked for him to save me, that I was saved. Jesus... Jesus is very narrow-minded. He told them in Matthew 7, 14, narrow is the gate and difficult it is the way that leads to life, and there are few that find it. He spelled it out clearly. In Luke chapter 13, verse 24, he said, strive to enter through the narrow gate. For many, I say to you, will seek to enter and will not be able. We need to strive to enter through the narrow gate that is the word of God. The truth of the word of God. The gate is Jesus Christ. That's the only way. Sounds pretty narrow. 
When people say I'm narrow-minded, I say, yeah. Yeah. I grew up in Queens. I wasn't narrow-minded then. I was just obnoxious. But now I am narrow-minded because I don't want all the junk to get into my mind. I don't want to be corrupted by what the world tells me is true. If you watch the news, not that I'm endorsing that, but if you watch the news, you will know that it's very easy to be corrupted by what the news tells us. Whether in their eyes what they're telling you is true or not, that doesn't really matter. What matters is that it conflicts with the word of God. God, excuse me. And if it conflicts with the word of God, then it's true for them, but not for us. And so we need to stick to the truth. So in closing, we consider that Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He's still the only way to get to heaven. There is no other way. And so let's trust that Jesus will always be the way, the truth, and the life. That's not going to change. Nobody is going to get to the Father except through the Son. Amen?